The opinions in the following podcast are expressly my own and do not reflect those of my employer, my administrator, my coworkers, my students, or the parents of my students. Names have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty. Friday Night Pints. This is the March 30th podcast. Wow, it's been an interesting couple of weeks. Uh, We had parent-teacher conferences this week, uh, Wednesday night. Our district does them after a full day of teaching, so it makes for a wonderful day on Wednesday, followed by an exciting Thursday back at work. And i got to admit, I really do miss the days where they used to have conferences on Thursday night, and then give the teachers and students the day off on Friday. The biggest thing that I really miss from that is the being able to go out with the staff and have an evening free where you could go spend some time, have a couple of pints, relax, talk, see people you don't get to see, and you didn't feel obligated to get home in a decent hour because you weren't getting up at 5 o'clock the next morning to teach another full day. But thanks to budget cuts, it became expensive to run the buses sometime and not the rest, and they have a priority about making sure that parents with kids at multiple levels can get to all the conferences, and that was the end of that. So, so that was uh, Wednesday night. But you know, before we even get into conferences and the usual stuff I would want to talk about that, I gotta talk about breaking news. This just came over the uh, the wires yesterday, actually, uh, and I'm reading an article written by uh, let's see, it's Maria Glaude at the Washington Post, and this is uh, posted on the Washington Post website. I picked it up off Slash Dot, uh, did a comment on it also yesterday, and so I followed the the blog feed that way. But it looks like two kids in Arizona are in the process of suing Turnitin.com to the tune of nine hundred thousand dollars in damages. Now, if you're not familiar with Turnin.com, here's how it works. This is a web service that you sign up for as a teacher, you establish a class, and you post assignments. Then your students, when they're ready to turn in a paper, they create an account as their name, and they email their paper as a Microsoft Doc file. Um, I think it might even support uh, WordPerfect files or even a plain text file. They send that in to Turnin.com. Then Turnin.com has a computer that scans through the paper and looks for common phrases to what it has in its paper database. And this database includes all previously written papers that have been turned in through Turnin.com, as well as scholarly journals, encyclopedias, popular websites, barely known websites, anything and everything it can do to check to see if the kids' language is 100% unique. Now, I've used this a couple of times with my projects in my physics class to avoid kids just, you know, cutting and pasting, like, a timeline off the Internet or grabbing a Wikipedia article and hitting print and a few other stunts I've seen them pull this year. And so I, I did this, and I basically said, you know, I don't want to deal with conversations about whether or not you have... what what I'm expecting in a paper. I'm expecting a paper that will pass... A turnin.com test. So if you write something for me, turnin.com should not say that this paper is plagiarized. So make sure you are citing your sources and that you are, you know, writing it yourself. You're not just copy paste. 
I gotta say, it's not a horrible service, and maybe if I used it more for English, it would mean more to me, because my reports I got from it were kind of eh, not really useful to me. Uh, a lot of things were highlighted, I kind of went back and checked, and sometimes it looked like they had just changed their phrasing. And sometimes it looked more like the website used common popular language, the kids used common popular language, and there happened to be a match. So I'm not completely sure how much I, I trust it for my purposes, but uh, the idea, though, of having this, this resource, I'm sure, is much, much more useful when you have much more creative-based writings, like your typical five-paragraph essay on a given topic, like you say. Guys, I want you to write a five-paragraph topic where you compare your favorite teacher to a historical figure. And in those cases, it will be much easier for a kid to choose not to be creative and, and be a little harder to catch. Because how do you know that their favorite teacher they think of like as Eddie Murphy? Or their favorite teacher reminds them of being very similar to Condoleezza Rice or Hillary Clinton? And it's really hard to say. So I can see this as a great resource for the English and the social studies teacher to verify their gain original papers. Well... The big problem that these kids have with it is actually not, I don't think, anything about copyright. Uh, towards the end of the article, the, uh, the writer gets to what I think is the crux of why the lawsuit came about. And this is from a plaintiff's father, which was, and I, I quote him now in the article, You can't take a person's work and run it through a computer and make an honest person out of him. My son's major objection is that he does not cheat and this assumes he does. This case is not about money, and we don't expect to get that. Well, for starters, it is about money, because you're, you're suing for $900,000 in damages. Unless I'm mistaken, you don't have to sue for any value amount. So the fact that you're, you're putting a very big number on there, you want money. So this isn't about just, you know, fun. You're, you're not just out for the principal because there's nothing in this article saying that they're going to give the money to a charity or they're only looking for enough to shut turnin.com down. They're looking to get money. So uh, whatever about that whole why you're doing this. Yeah, right. Okay. But it's that idea, though, that this is about my kid's honest and I don't appreciate you suggesting he might not be. You know, I got I to gotta tell you something here, Mr. Wade. Kids cheat. Kids have been cheating since there have been tests. Since we have told kids that there is some grade that's going to be assigned to them that has some merit, kids have been cheating. That's all there is to it. And, you know, hopefully someone sits this guy down and says, hey, don't take it personal. Kids cheat. And we do everything we can to discourage it, obviously. But I don't think Turnin.com is, is obtrusive. The biggest problem I have is a couple of kids had, you know, a little difficulty remembering the website. And making sure that they got their paper in with all their computer issues. But for the grand scheme of things, most of these kids today are typing their papers. And that would be my concern is, is it fair to require children to type an essay as on a computer, have it saved as a document file? Now, on the flip side of this coin, grading papers is a heck of a lot easier because I'm not walking around with a stack of papers everywhere. I just sit down at my computer, I go to the website, I pull their paper up, I read it, I assign a grade, I record the grade, life goes on. Uh, and I think that's a, a phenomenal resource. But now, the back to the case at hand. I'll get off my little soapbox there. Their case is that Turnitin is illegally using their copyrighted material. 
what the, the like I said, the way the service works is it compares papers submitted to it against this database of all previously turned in papers. So what they're doing is they're consistently drawing in more and more of these kids' papers and using it as part of the service. Because without all these papers to compare it against, it's not real strong. If I don't say, hey, let's look at some of these other papers we've used, there's no way of really knowing for sure what other kids have written. So yes, I can verify the kid plagiarized from Wikipedia, because I can really easily look at, you know, compare to Wikipedia, compare to them. But how do I know they didn't steal this paper from their friend who had me last year? Or how do I know they didn't steal this from their friend who had this teacher last year? How, how do I know they didn't steal this paper from themselves? How do I know this paper hasn't already been submitted to some teacher somewhere? Now, maybe I don't have a problem with that. But I would like to know if my kids double-dipping double essays. Heck, it'd be nice to know that this is a redo, and I could say, hey, look it, you know, this is the second time you turn this paper into a teacher. Do you think maybe you could have spelled existentialism right this time? I mean, I mean, this is your second shot. How many times does a teacher have to circle it with red ink and say, hey, check spelling? So by saving all of these documents, all of these files, they are basically making money off of these kids' papers, which are copyrighted without their permission. Because as I understand copyright law, you don't actually have to seek a formal copyright. It's an assumed on any work you create. Now, someone was talking to our, my principal today about this, and he said, well, what about you know requiring the kids to sign a waiver or something? Well, I'm not really sure if, if if the court goes that direction. I don't think that'll hold either because I'm a teacher. I tell the kid, you're going to turn in through turnin.com and you're going to sign this piece of paper that says you don't have rights to this paper anymore. Last I checked, that would be a contract under duress. Those don't hold up either. You know, if I put a gun to your head and say, sign, sign your fortune away to me, that is not a legally binding document. And in some ways, telling us a kid, a 13, 14, 15-year-old, you're not getting a grade in this class until you agree to give up the rights to your work. I'd call that duress. But I would even call asking students as a teacher to give up that right, a contract of duress, because, I mean, you're a freshman. This is a grown-up. You just met them. It's September. You want to make a good impression. You want to do well in high school. And he wants you to sign away the rights for your paper. Well, the smart thing to do is go, okay, sir and sign them away without really understanding what it is you're doing. So my current gut is this is going to, they're going to win. And Turnin is going to have to expunge its database of all papers submitted by students who haven't agreed to give them this right. Now what I find interesting too, to a degree, is that these kids knew what they were doing. I mean, they went out of their way to be sure that they were covered because they made a point of copywriting their work in a very legal way before sending it in. Now, at the time that this article came down the line, this would be Thursday, March 29, uh, there was no comment yet from anyone involved with Turnitin.com, its parent company of iParadigm, or the school district that these students attend school in. So, it's kind of hard to say exactly where this is going to go, but we'll have to uh, we'll have to keep an eye on this, you know, see see what happens. I know our school uses Turnin.com, and a lot of the teachers like it, and a lot don't. So it's it's a crapshoot, but it's not a cheap service. Uh, there was a comment I got back from our media specialist who helped facilitate uh, getting teachers on board with using it. 
who personally thought it was was a bit of a shame that parents are teaching their kids to look for legal loopholes and not to just deal with the fact that this is about checking for everyone else to be sure they're doing it right. You know, and it's ironic, too. They don't quote Mr. Wade, one of the plaintiff's fathers, but he, he they do uh, paraphrase him to say that he thinks schools should focus on teaching students cheating is wrong. Well, once again, Mr. Wade, sometimes you have to show people that they get caught when they break the rules to help reinforce that breaking the rules is wrong. Not everyone is at the moral level of doing things the right way because it's the right thing to do. Some people need to be afraid of punishment. So hopefully, Mr. Wade, you, this goes well for you. And I, I hate to say this, as an intellectual property kind of guy, I, I kind of am pulling for the kids to a degree. But I also hope that they find some, some middle ground so that this kind of service can be maintained. Because I find it invaluable. And I think that, that really, if this is just about cheating, and it's not about copyright, then it shouldn't be in the court of law. Take it up with the school, deal with it there. But, nah. Nah, I take that back. I'm not on the kid's side on this one. They're a bunch of little punks. So, we'll, I'll keep you guys posted as to how that goes, and we'll see what kind of stuff comes up. Now, speaking of law, i got to tell you about this activity we're doing in my physics class right now, which is proving to be a little bit of a shocker to my, my co-workers. I got the brainwave to do this uh, Wednesday morning. I was on my way down to copy some excerpts for the students to read in class out of the superhero, uh, Physics of Superheroes. It's a, a book I got a couple years ago for Christmas that I use uh, a lot of examples out of because the writer did a great job of creating a textbook for physics with everything framed about superheroes. I mean, it's really not a, let's look at the physics of Superman, da 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 da, da. It's, let's talk about electromagnetism. And we're going to talk about this superhero to talk about electromagnetism. Now let's talk about special relativity. Well, we're going to talk about this instance in this comic and talk about special relativity. So it really does play well. And this chapter we're doing is on momentum and impulse. So I was reading up on it. I was going to copy out a couple of excerpts for the kids to read and discuss. And it hit me. In this section, it references the death of Gwen Stacy in the Spider-Man comics. Well, Gwen Stacy was Spider-Man's girlfriend pre-Mary Jane, and she died during an incident on the Washington Bridge. She fell off the bridge, uh, was pushed off basically by the Green Goblin, and Spider-Man, not really think, thinking well, he was fighting off a cold, some people say, and or it was right in there, they say that was part of the reason he did this, he caught her using a web, but he didn't do anything to cushion the stop. So she was able to fall a good 100, 150 feet before she stopped. And that sudden stop snapped her neck, killed her instantly. And after this, he, of course, blames the Green Goblin for her death, vows revenge, yada, 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 yada. So I got into my head, rather than having the kids, you know, read about this example, take 10 minutes to discuss it, we I would drive it home a bit more and instead of making a quick question to them of what do you think, is this the kind of thing he should have known better, we are putting Peter Parker on trial. And so what we do now, what we're doing this week and next, is we are actually creating a mock trial room in my room. We, we, we do our lesson for the day because we have a 90-minute block period for most days of the week. We do a lesson, we discuss some stuff, we work on worksheets, we review the homework, we do your usual classroom stuff. And the last 20 minutes, we are going through P Peter Parker being on trial for negligent homicide. 
And it's it's been a very fun experience for me, partially because I get to kind of play up my my armchair legal side here. Uh, I'm not trained as a lawyer. I just do a lot of reading on the internet about it, and go to a lot a lot of my conferences. I tend to sit in on the fair use laws discussions and the internet uh, plagiarism discussions. That's what I'm what I'm interested in, and. Um, but I sent out this email to all the staff because I wanted to see if I could get a copy of the actual uh, comic issue so I could show the kids the two or three pages of it that lead up to this part of the, the incident. So it's not something where they're going off my quick rendition or off a Wikipedia article. They actually can read the original comic and get it all in context. So I sent out an email to my entire staff saying, Hi, I'm looking for The Amazing Spider-Man number 121. The Death of Gwen Stacy. Which I don't even think I said that. I think I just said I need Spider-Man 121. I need a couple, need to photocopy a page or two for my class for discussion. Well, my, one of my assistant principals called his brother who's a collector and said, yeah, I've got this teacher looking for Spider-Man one, uh, issue uh, 121. And before he could explain, his brother cuts in to say, oh, he wants the death of Gwen Stacy. I mean, that's like the notoriety of this number. So everyone's asking me, too, what do you know with a comic book in physics class? And so I'm finding myself explaining over and over again as to you know, what, our, what the goal of the activity is, why we're doing it, and what I really want the kids to do. Today we got through uh, the prosecution's opening remarks and the prosecution's first witness, which was the city coroner. And what I've done for this activity is I, had, I put all the rules of the court in a bucket, had the kids draw out. So we drew out one person to be Spider-Man, who I don't know if she'll, she, <laughs> a girl drew the name, if she's going to testify or not. Uh, if I was the defense, I don't think I'd put her on the stand. We had one person, four kids, draw names to be the legal defense team. So their job is to mount some kind of defense for Spider-Man here. Uh, we had one kid draw the name as a judge. He's already had his first ruling. We, I, was, I thought I had someone in there as a court reporter stenographer, but uh, apparently no one fessed up to it, so a young lady volunteered and is starting to appreciate that this is a much harder job than she thought because she's you know, rapidly trying to keep up with everyone talking, and she's not trained in stenography. She's not trained in shorthand. So she's literally trying to keep a verbal record as fast as she can type of what everyone is saying. And as you can tell, when I start to get excited, my uh, tempo tends to pick up. So I have to keep watching myself and giving her time to catch up to what I'm saying to type it out. We also had kids draw names to be the assistant DA. So I, I wasn't doing it entirely on my own, and I can make sure that my, my partner has some direction. Uh, we had two kids draw names to be witnesses. One of them is the Green Goblin. One of them is the Coroner. And I told the defense team they can call whatever witness they'd like, provided they let me as the teacher have enough time to put some prep work together to give that student so they can be a witness of any kind. And so what I've done is I've also given our coroner a list of questions she should be able to answer and released her on her research. So today we had our opening remarks to the jury. We went through jury selection. We put 12 kids into a jury box. We set some chairs up. And then we asked them some questions, interviewed them, asked them their opinions about a couple of things, uh, asked them if they had had any prior knowledge of the case, and then we dismissed a couple of jurors each. The, the, the prosecution kicked out a few, the defense kicked out a few, the judge exercised his right to kick one out, and we got ourselves an impaneled what we think the best 12 people in class to be on the jury. Although I, I suspect the judge kicked one out just because he knew he was allowed to, and he just wanted to. 
So our jury is actually the original paneled one, minus three semi-random kids, and the other three thrown on it. So, but that's where we're at. We did our opening remarks today. I did mine. The defense is with, withholding theirs until they see our full case. And I questioned the coroner about the nature of Gwen Stacy's death. And the student had, last night, studied and researched a little bit, looked up the, um, the actual kind of acceleration required to cause death, the accelerations uh, to snap the neck, so to speak, the acceleration in a car accident, and to try and get a judgment call as to what she was going to talk about when she got up there. And we put her on the stand, and she answered some questions, and it went pretty well. And next week we'll continue by bringing the other witness we have, uh, and the you know defense will obviously try to argue that while the the web did kill Gwen Stacy, that Peter Parker was just acting in you know what he felt was the best interest. And I'm, I'm kind of hoping they take some time to maybe do a little bit of legal research as well as their physics research. Because I know they're going to argue, well, if she'd hit the water from that height, she'd be dead anyways. So really, you can't blame him for trying to save her. But I just I'm, I hope they take it a little bit step further. And I've even commented that this would be a great activity to not only have involved our practical law class so that we could actually make this courtroom event that step that much better, that much more involved, that much more accurate, because I'm... I'm literally picking and grabbing websites and pulling ears in the in the staff room to make sure I do this right, but to include an English class so we could include a writing component and maybe even go a step further and involve a history class and say, well, you know, let's let's look at how this thing fits into the historical record, both as comic books of the 70s, the kinds of storylines we were trying to tell kids, but kind of let's look at some other actual historical cases of things going awry when you were trying to do good. So, I mean, there's so much opportunity here, and sometimes I wish we had more time to develop these ideas. So that's what's going on in my classroom right now. Uh, I promised a little talking about conferences, and uh, I don't know, I'm watching my watch here, and I do have to get going home in a little while. So, but I, I, I said I'd talk a little bit about them. Conferences were your typical spring conferences for us. We start at 2.30, we're done at 8.30, we get a half an hour for dinner. And, God, that half hour goes really fast. Uh, but it always feels like you really don't see the parents that you need to see. On the flip side of that, what I find personally very interesting is that this time out, I actually saw some of those parents. I had a few parents that sat down and said, uh, what's going on? My kid's got an E. And I said, well, here's what's going on. And we had really good dialogue about what we could do to turn some of these kids around. The, the hardest case was one late in the night of a parent whose child is flat out failing and has given up hope of college. Uh, he is a senior. He is probably not going to go on to any four-year university right out of high school because his grade point isn't there. And he's resigned himself to community college. And so we, we pretty much sat and stared at each other as we tried to come up with what do you do now? I mean, how do you take someone who's who's going to graduate, even if they fail their entire last semester of their senior year, and all they're looking forward to is community college, how do you motivate them to do anything beyond exist? How do you push them that extra inch or two to study for their next test, to actually complete an entire homework assignment? And, and I feel horrible that we didn't have a better answer other than, well, we'll just do our best because there wasn't any motivator. 
there really wasn't much to that we could come up with at the time. So I'm hoping something will give. We'll find some way to get him moving because other kids in that class are starting to feed off that. And they're starting to see, well, this guy, he just sits there all the time. Why should I work? Or worse, why are you yelling at me to work? You're not yelling at him. And you, know, you can only yell so long at, at a brick wall before you say, oh, i got to move my attention to where it's going to do some good. I had another couple of cases of parents that I, I had to talk to to look at what their kid did in class. We had a young man who, and this seems to be a trend now, would come home from school. He would hang out with his friends, maybe do a little homework till about 3, 3.34, go to bed until 9, get back up at 9 o'clock, and then hang out online, go out with friends, party, gab, watch TV until like 11.30, and then go to bed. And he would sleep all through first hour, every single time. And, and he seemed absolutely shocked that his sleep cycle was being affected by, you know, his, his awakeness was being affected by the fact that he didn't get a full night's sleep. This nap, party, sleep was what he and his buddies were doing, and it, to him, it just seemed like a natural thing to do. And he was really rather surprised that perhaps this was not wholly healthy. So we, we talked a good talk there about what he might consider his next time out. What, you know, what kind of changes could we make? How could we improve the situation? And make things really work for him. So that was a good talk. And he actually came to the conference, which is something I'm not always comfortable with because you want to be candid with the parent about what's going on, but you're sitting here talking in front of the student in third person. And that is incredibly disconcerting, at least to me. Uh, in fact, sometimes I wish I could send the student away for a little while to have a frank conversation and then bring the kid back into the conversation. Okay, here's what your mom and I have talked about. We want to know what you think. And then, you know, bring him into it so that I'm not going, yeah, he does this, he does that, he did this, he did that, right there in front of the kid. So that's always a little awkward. Um, but, you know, most of the parents I saw were, hey, your kid's doing fine, got an A, whatever you do, keep doing it, great to see you, have fun. And it's that kind of that self-fulfilling thing where the parents who would come to conferences are involved enough to keep their kids really going and to ask about class and to make sure they're doing the homework, provide that, that stable home environment, whatever it might be, be it single or two-parent or working parents or stay-at-home mom, whatever it is. Whatever they're doing works. And part of that works is being able to make it to the conferences or or making a point to make it to conferences. So we'll kind of see where, where it goes from there. I will admit I did kind of cheat out on one of my agreements, and that was to send home grade sheets today. But we're only a week into the new marking period, so all I would have to show on these grade sheets are literally two homework assignments. So hopefully no one will get on my case come Monday morning at the old email box. But, eh, we'll see what happens. Uh, maybe I'll, we, we are doing a quiz Monday, so maybe I'll do like a late sheet send out. Uh, but, and then we got next week off. Oh, well, we got next week, and then we have spring break. So, although I do think Thursday, good Thursday, I'll sit down with you guys and we'll do a Thursday edition of Friday Night Pints because I'm pretty confident that I'm not working Friday and I am going to have a honeydew list the size of my arm for spring break. So, I don't think I'll have time to get out to the pub with you guys and share another round. But maybe Thursday. Since I don't have to work on Friday, I'll, I'll maybe I'll do a late night trip out with you guys and talk about how we, the week went going into spring break and some of my observations. But anyway, um, I'm looking at the time. 
and it is getting mighty close to when I should get myself home. And, uh, oh, oh, you might even hear that that's my cell going. So I will have to talk to you guys later, and, uh, well, I'll see you in a week.